Morning, friends. How are you? Doing well? Man, it's good to be with you. My name is Ben, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, It's my great pleasure to be able to open up the scriptures with you and to look at Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we'll be concluding a series we've been in uh, on the parables of Jesus, the stories that Jesus tells. And we end with a great uh, parable about forgiveness. So we're in Matthew 18, we're reading verses 21 through 35. This is God's word, friends. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers or your sisters from the heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Jesus, you take forgiveness very seriously. And in some ways I feel like I could sit down and we could just sit for the 
next 20 minutes and just think about the parable. But they pay me money and stuff, so I'll preach. And, but Lord, would you come by your spirit and help us to remember again the mercy that we have needed and received. And let it move us to become a different kind of person. We give you praise and thanks in Christ's name. Amen. I just want you to think about where you need forgiveness in your life, where you feel the need of it for yourself. What relationship? Is there a person waiting to be forgiven by you? A strained relationship? With unreconciled tensions? You can't pass the grocery store test. You see them in the aisle of the grocery store and you don't go down that aisle. It's just too awkward. It's too much water under the bridge. What grudges are you holding? What sadness do you have in your heart because someone won't forgive you? Or just think about the world that we live in that permits everything but forgives nothing. Where we walk around on eggshells, every slight, intentional or otherwise, is counted. And people are made to pay. We're afraid to make mistakes with our words or our language. I want us to think about the power of forgiveness. What if it was offered and given? The power of grace. The virtue of forbearance. These things are the fragrance of heaven. It's the beginning of healing. And it's the foundation of the path that a disciple of Jesus walks. Our passage begins with Peter. Man, I like Peter. Peter's so earnest. And he just asked Jesus. And so the context of his question is Jesus has been talking about how ruthless we should be about the sin in our own lives so it doesn't break down the community that he cares about so much. He's just said this stuff about, man, if you sin, if your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's just done that thing. And he's talked about and he's, he knows we won't always do that and that we will hurt our community. And so he's also given us rules about what happens when we do that. When, when someone has sinned against you, you go to them. And then if they don't receive your pleas, then you take another person and then you bring the church. So this has been that discussion. And Peter comes out of it and he knows something about Jesus. He knows that the last word on Christian relationships 
is probably going to be about forgiveness. And so Peter anticipates the point and says, Jesus, if my brother or sister sins against me, how many times do I need to forgive them? Seven times? He's trying to impress Jesus. You, get, you know, you get to get hurt by someone seven times is a lot of hurt depending on the hurt. Most of us would say, depending on the hurt, that person forbear in that relationship. Seven times, Jesus? Who knows? In, 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 my, in the back of my mind, I think Peter has someone in his mind and, that he wants to let loose on. And he's kind of, he's reached seven. Is it seven times? Is Jesus impressed by such things? Look at how Jesus answers in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some of your translations say 70 times seven. Seven was the number of completion. To times that by a multiple of 10 and then by seven again, you're no longer talking about math to a Jewish mind. You're not talking about real numbers. This, he's saying that there is no limit. Forgiveness must be perfect times 10 times seven. This is Jesus' way of saying there is no limit to how many times a disciple of Jesus is to command, is commanded to forgive those who hurt them. That's strong, man. What reason could he give? And in his way, he tells us a story. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, if anyone has an NIV out there, what does it say? Anybody have one? No, because you're all good ESV readers. It's good. It says 10,000 bags of gold. We don't know what talents are. I like 10,000 bags of gold. I'm not going to bore you with a detailed breakdown of first century currency, but the actual figure that's cited here is a ridiculous one. So one scholar I read wrote that the Greek language cannot express by two single words a definite sum larger than this. This is like a bagazillion dollars. Or more like the wealth of the Roman Empire. We're talking about the type of money that one nation owes another nation. And so in telling the story, Jesus is going for the laugh. Jesus is trying to make you laugh. It's a ridiculous amount of money. No one could ever owe someone that much money. And then it says, since he was not able to pay, no duh. (laughs) Sure. Naturally. It's important to see that it would be impossible 
for this person to pay back a gazillion dollars. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and for payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Cue the laugh track. That's a good parable. You know, a good parable when you heal, you're supposed to laugh. I'm going to give me time and I'm going to pay you back the bazillion dollars. It's not going to happen. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That's amazing. Now it seems obvious, but let's just say it. The servant's master in this parable plays the role of God the Father. And the servant is me, you and us. It's Peter, which is funny because Peter's question presupposes that he's the one with the moral high ground. He's the one who has been sinned against. And Jesus is saying, Let's first talk about you and as the one who has sinned against someone else. Let's start with the log in your own eye, in other words. And in this parable, Peter, myself, and you, we've all amassed an unpayable debt to God. A gazillion dollars, as it were. And also, as it were in this parable, God does not lessen our debt. He does not give us a a chance to pay back what could never be paid back. He does not offer us time. Most reasonable people would say all of those things would be gracious. You owe someone big, and they say, I know times are hard, pay me at your own pace. Or pay me half of it. Those are gracious attitudes. Almost any reasonable person would be overwhelmed by gratitude, by the the charitable kindness of someone who would lessen what was an unforgivable debt. But God doesn't do that. He forgives the entire thing. Cancels the entire thing. It no longer exists. How costly was that to this king? And notice that it's not what the servant asked for. The servant wanted time. He wanted patience. He wanted another chance to to try and try and try to pay it back like that was ever going to happen. But the servant's master gave him immeasurably more kindness than he asked for. And so if you follow Jesus and like Peter live under this very controversial truth claim that Jesus is who he claimed to be, then your debt to God, the unpayable debt, has not just been relaxed or adjusted, it has been canceled as far as the east is from the west. 
Now you would think that we and the servant in Jesus' story would be radically changed by such, such a thing. But we keep reading, verse 28. But when that same servant went, went out freshly forgiven, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, it's important to see that a hundred denarii was not an inconsequential amount of money, maybe a week's worth of earnings. Let's say it's $500. Let's say it's a real debt. It's not inconsequential in and of itself, but it is absurdly inconsequential when compared to the bagazillion dollars that this character owed moments before. So what does he do? And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. And this should sound familiar because it is the exact same plea that this servant himself had. Have patience with me and I will pay you. Same words, different meaning because this individual could have actually paid the debt back. And so will his peer have mercy on him? Verse 30. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now think about that last line. He put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Guess what you can't do in prison? Work. He made it impossible for the poor fellow to pay back the debt. That is a mic drop moment in the story. Because we all know what it's like to create a prison like that for someone else in our heart. You're not letting them pay you back. You don't care how many times they apologize. It's what we do. What you want is justice, the satisfaction of a short chokehold or years of emotional distance, relational distance, withholding intimacy, love, forgiveness. We want to put a person in an impossible situation because of what they did to us. They can't work off their debt. And guess what else they they can't do? They can't work for the master. The master's bottom line is affected. Because when we forgive others, there is an opportunity for healing to take place, for God to change them. But when we keep them in our self-made prisons, when people are shackled to our accusations and our guilt, and to the shame that comes with it, we won't, when we don't let a person get past their worst decision, then we aren't releasing them into God's future. 
And we're holding back the kingdom of God from being released into their life and into God's world. And when that doesn't happen, there's a great reason for sorrow. And so look at verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. It could be translated, they were outraged. They were horrified. They had great sorrow over this. And so they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. They treated the withholding of forgiveness as a great offense. And that the master was ultimately affected. And how does the master respond? Verse 32 through 35. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus takes forgiveness very seriously, doesn't he? He says something similar elsewhere. Consider the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you forgive others their trespasses, I'll forgive you yours. It's the same kind of statement. Well, what is Jesus saying? Is salvation by grace or is it by forgiveness? And I think what he's saying is that grace and forgiveness is so at the heart of who I am. It's so at the heart of what's happened to you if you believe in me. And he doesn't say if you struggle to forgive or if it takes time. He says if you refuse to forgive, what you're showing is that you haven't actually internalized the grace and forgiveness that has been given to you in the first place. So for Jesus, the number one sign that the grace of God has really sunk in deep to the human heart is our ability to both receive it and extend it to others. In other words, someone who doesn't grant forgiveness shows that their heart has never really experienced the forgiveness and mercy and grace of God. But the opposite is also true. To extend forgiveness is to dance to the divine drumbeat, to God's heart, to the melody of heaven. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, forbearance. If we had to boil it down to a sentence, it would be because we are recipients of such extravagant grace, we now extend grace to others.
That's the story. What do you do with that? Well, let's start by just saying what we don't do with it. Because this is really hard. Especially if you've been hurt bad. What Jesus is not asking you to do is he's not asking you to ignore, condone, or tolerate sin. And we know that because we put this passage in context, because we're good readers of the Bible. And remember that the text happens in the flow of all that preceded it. Forgiveness is only after the hard work of addressing sin has been done. And in the passage beforehand, Jesus asks us to confront sin in ourselves and to confront sin in our neighbor. It's a vision of community where where not damaging others is a priority and where sin is never swept under the rug, never left unaddressed. He's certainly not asking us to tolerate abuse. So in the Matthew 18 passage, when when someone has sinned against you, you go to them once, and if they don't receive you, you are never alone with them again. You bring two people, and then you bring the church. Until they repent, there is never a picture of you ever being alone with them again. Jesus wants you, especially if you are a person in an abusive relationship, he wants to get you into a position, into a place of security and distance where you can actually begin the hard work of forgiving from the heart. So it doesn't mean tolerating sin or ignoring sin, and it doesn't mean restoring or reconciling. Forgiveness is different than reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two to play that game. It's a two-way street where two people come and humble themselves and they own what they've done. It takes time to build trust in a relationship, but here's the thing, forgiveness does not take two. And that's significant. Look at the last line. Where does Jesus say that forgiveness takes place? In the heart. You may not be able to to fully forgive a person right now. You may not be able to work things out in a relationship or restore peace in a pragmatic sense. But the only person who can stop you from forgiving in your heart is you. So if forgiveness is not ignoring, tolerating, reconciling, or restoring, what is it? What does it mean to forgive? I'm just going to give you four words as hooks. And the first is to forgive is to remember. It's to remember the grace that you have needed and that I have needed. And haven't we needed a tremendous amount of grace? And then it means to release. We find some way to let them out of the shackles of the prison in our hearts. To absorb the offense. 
to forgive from the heart. And that can be very painful. But again, we're not drawing on our own willpower, but the reservoir of forgiveness and grace of all that God has done for us. We're not dipping into goodwill or kindness. We're dipping into the soil of the cross. And that's why prayer is so key to forgiveness. Because prayer is where we work this out with Jesus. Prayer is where we feel the forgiveness of God and remember the gospel, these moments that we set apart to seek God's face throughout the day. Prayer is key to releasing. We remember, we release, and then we resolve to maintain that verdict because there's nothing that Satan wants more than for us to judge people by their worst decisions. But the scriptures say that love keeps no records of wrong. And so we resolve to do something, whatever needs to be done as it relates to what's in our power. So I always think, is there an action that you can take to start the process? Forgiveness usually doesn't start with feelings, to be honest. It starts with actions. Is there just a note you can send? An email? A phone call that needs to be made? Is there something that you can do on your end to release forgiveness into a life, into the world? And the last thing we do is we prepare for a season of rejoicing. Rejoicing. We celebrate the power of Christ's love and the freedom and release of prisoners. Prisoners from shame and guilt, the ones who offended us. The prison we've been keeping ourselves in, the bitter prison that has been controlling us. We celebrate when our wounds turn into scars. And what I've, God can do amazing things through forgiveness. And if you've been sinned against, you've been wounded. And some people stay wounded their whole lives because they never forgive. There's an area in their life that no one will come near because it's like a nuclear reactor. You just know you don't talk about that thing because the bomb's going to go off. But there are some wounded people that through forgiveness, the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation, those wounds become scars and those scars become stories and those stories become means of healing for other people. I'm married. No one has hurt me more than my wife. No one has hurt her more than me. Seven years into my marriage, I was sure I was going to get divorced. It was bad. But we worked through our issues. We did our counseling. We cried our tears. We had our sleepless nights. We prayed our prayers. We sought pastoral counsel. We sat at the cross of Jesus. We changed. And over time and struggling, we forgave one another. 
And out of that pain has come tremendous intimacy. I love that woman so much. The intensity of our love for one another now and our friendship. It couldn't be where it is without having gone through all of that stuff. And here's the thing. Our marriage is the greatest gift that we have had in our pastoral ministry because we can minister to other couples who are in a similar place where they think we're at the end. We have wounded ourselves so badly and we can show them our scars and we can say, no, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. And Jesus comes to all of us and he, he rises from the dead and you remember, he doesn't have wounds but he has scars. And he says, guys, it's not the end of the story. My scars have stories and those stories are redemptive stories and it's about your freedom. Your freedom. The grace that has been given to you, offered to you. Extend it to others. So I'm just going to read some relationships that you might have in your life that might need help. You just think about them. Where, where there might be wounds. Is there a spouse you need to forgive? An ex-spouse. A parent. A grandparent. A son or daughter, a sibling, a business partner, a co-worker, a trusted friend, yourself. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you have extended to us such amazing love. And to win a debt that we could never pay back, you met our need not with more time, not with a plan, not with a second chance, but with forgiveness canceling our debt as far as the east is from the west, giving us new chances, new hope, fresh mercy daily. We have been given so much, Lord, and I just sense the need of forgiveness in this room with people in this room, let alone outside of it, and I pray, Lord, that you would give people a sense of hope. That is their heart's are softened again by the thought of your love, that they would have hope for their relationships, hope for themselves, that you would release the gift of forgiveness into this room, that you would release the gift of mercy into our lives and the kingdom of God into the world as a result. It is my prayer, Lord God, that I lift up to you now and pray in Christ's name. Amen.